Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Today it is Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. Busy show today. The Big 12 conference dropped their college basketball men's and women's schedules yesterday on Monday in the afternoon. So we'll talk about that, kind of highlight some big matchups, and have a conversation about uh, the probability of college basketball making its way through its entire schedule this season and making it to the NCAA tournament um, this coming season. And then we'll do our first edition of our Tuesday Power Rankings. These are going to be a staple of this show. Every Tuesday, we're going to have Power Rankings for either football or basketball and um might have one week where we have both later on down the line in December. I doubt it, but maybe, maybe there's a chance we have a week where we get both college football and college basketball power ratings, power rankings rather. Uh, but you will always have those every Tuesday. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everybody, let's get to it here on the Locked On Big 12 podcast. So the Big 12 conference released the men's basketball schedule yesterday in a press release, and here is what it said. The Big 12 is scheduled to open the 2020-2021 men's basketball conference season on December 6th, with each program playing two league games prior to the Christmas break. The double round-robin format will conclude on Saturday, February 27th, with the following week left open for possible makeup games. The Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Championship game, or excuse me, Men's Championship, is set for March 10th through 13th in Kansas City's T-Mobile Center, formerly the Sprint Center. All dates are subject to change. Times and television designations will be released when available. And they have the schedule. It opens up with Oklahoma at TCU on September, or excuse me, on December 6th. So first thing is first here. I want to talk about uh, the college basketball season as a whole. It was really interesting. Last night I was actually uh, I was playing some golf with a couple friends. One of them is a Virginia Tech fan, and one of them is a diehard UVA basketball fan. And I mentioned to them how the Big 12 had released their conference schedule, you know, yesterday, and it got us kind of thinking about how you know we started in the pandemic with sports being canceled. The first big thing was the NCAA tournament, right? If you go back to March, I remember I was working for SiriusXM at the time, and the Big 12 tournament, it was night one, and it was becoming clear during night one that this was the last basketball that we were going to see for a long period of time. Uh, you didn't really know how long, but there was no way the NCAA tournament was going to get played. There was no way it was going to be finished. I remember the next morning, you know, it being so bizarre that, um, you know, the, the next day we had the first half, I believe, of, of Creighton-Providence, I want to say, in the Big East tournament. Before it got canceled, they had no fans there, which was weird. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was quick, right? Everything just kind of ended all of a sudden. And now fast forward to where we are in October, down the line, seven months later, college basketball has no concrete plan of how they're going to play. We just saw what happened in the NBA and them needing a bubble to get it done. We're seeing baseball right now, how successful, <clears throat> excuse me, how successful their bubble is as well. We're seeing in the NFL and and in college in college football that there are challenges, but they can be overcome if you're playing one game a week. And things got dicey there for the Titans especially, right? There things have gotten dicey for some of the Big 12 teams. I mean, things got dicey for Baylor. Uh, you know, we weren't sure how many games Baylor was going to get, and they had three canceled in the first four weeks of the season, you know? And so 
that has become a challenge. And basketball, we already know that how it can spread. Obviously, we had Rudy Gobert in the NBA giving it to the Detroit Pistons, Christian Wood. The close contact in basketball is going to be an issue, right? In football, you don't think there's going to be as much transmission. At least we have not had any concrete proof of transmission through football. But we do know, I mean, you think of the line, you probably get it. But like, you know, we have not had any that you can really trace to a certain game. In basketball, we've actually had it, right? We have had transmission of COVID in a basketball game. We know Christian Wood got it from playing basketball against Rudy Gobert. We know that that is where that happened. So my next question is, how does college basketball figure to get this thing done? Right? I I am, I mean, especially if you look at the Big 12, you think about the one-week allowance at the end of the season in the event of games being canceled. That's not going to be enough time to make up the schedule. If you're going to play a round-robin, the normal 18-game schedule in the Big 12, I'm going to venture to say that more than one game is going to get canceled. And if you have, you know, players with COVID, I mean, it's going to knock out your team for two weeks, right? It's going to knock out your, and, I, and I'm going to, you know, this is not just a position group in football, right? This isn't the Raiders sending their entire offensive line home. This is not a team with you know, all the cornerbacks getting out. If your team gets it, if you get seven guys who get it, you're going to be playing with essentially, you know, I mean, it varies from team to team, but you're not going to be able to field a full team. It's not going to be at least competitive. It's not going to be a good product. And so I'm not saying don't play a season. I've been asking for this for a long time. And actually the big 12 is a benefactor of this because they have a smaller conference. They should bubble in certain locations. What I would do is for a month that a lot of these guys are taking online classes as it is. So I don't want to hear like the class stuff is not, is not an excuse online classes. And I would bubble the guys in a place like Kansas city. And if you guys, you know, I'm sure many of you who listen to this podcast either know about the area or maybe even have been to the big 12 tournament in Kansas city, it's a great area. A lot of hotels around that arena, around the new T-Mobile. It's now called the T-Mobile Center, as we just heard. But there's plenty of places around they could bubble and quarantine those guys. And for, you know, uh, for four weeks, for a month, you put five teams together in that place. And, uh, you know, you'll play eight games. And what if you want to do three weeks, if you want to do four weeks, that's fine. But, you know, you can schedule it out and, and space it out however much you want. The players still have the option to opt out if they would like to, you know, maintain eligibility. But if these guys are in school to play college basketball, I'd venture to say that they'd be totally okay with getting those hotels, staying there, and uh, you know, doing whatever you can to make sure it happens. I know the cost would be, uh, it'd, it'd be sufficient cost, but I mean, the issue is that I don't know how you play basketball without it, right? I'm not sure how your program is going to get through a season. If one player gets COVID and they go to practice, you know, and they're and they're in the post playing, right? Or or you know, you're setting screens, and you're and, you know, you're constantly doing that stuff, and you're playing defense on somebody one on one, you know, face to face. I have a tough time seeing how there's not going to be the spread of COVID nineteen during the college basketball season. And I'm not the only person who believes that. I I think there's a lot of people out there who are kind of with me and wish that college basketball was a bit more uh, forth, you know, forthcoming with um, some play, a bit more forward thinking rather with their thinking on how they were going to put together this season. And along with what I just submitted, you know, I, I would say this, you could do a place, you know, they, half teams could go to Tulsa, half the teams could go to Kansas city. And then those teams, you know, you could switch them up and make sure everybody gets to play uh, against the other group, right? You, you know, kind of almost like divisions and you get to make sure everybody is going to play everybody. You know, if you had to finish a few games, you can do that uh, and schedule those independently. 
Another thing, though, that could derail the start of the Big 12 season is the fact that seven of the 10 Big 12 teams still do have scheduled non-conference games. The only three who are not planning to play non-conference games are Texas Tech, Texas, and then West Virginia. So those three teams all have uh, just the conference schedule on their slate. The rest of the seven, they all have non-conference games scheduled, including Kansas, who just uh, got word of the Champions Classic. We know that is an ESPN event, and that one is going to be moved. So the Orlando event, Champions Classic, it could move, and I'm, I'm reading from Sea of Blue now, the SB Nation site for Kentucky, that it could be moved to Indianapolis. So they might still be um, uh, hell-bent on having that event, and that one obviously is going to be Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan State, and then Duke. So, <clears throat> and Indianapolis might also they might also host the Jimmy V Classic as well. So there's a lot of shuffling, and it's difficult because you're a month away from tip-off, and you're having all this stuff in motion. You're having all these things kind of moved around. It's exciting. We're going to go through the schedule, and I'm going to point out some really. Uh, some of the best games, and I'm going to just point out right now the games that are before Christmas, the ones that you can look forward to, because I'm not going to try to preview the entire schedule and talk about it, but I, I think saying, hey, we can be rightfully excited about these games before Christmas is totally fine, and we can take a look at the back half of the schedule uh, when we get there, and I think we'll have some nice time during the break to do so. But yeah, I mean, I think having the conversation about what does a basketball season look like is the most important one right now because the health and safety of the student-athletes is the most important thing. It honestly should be. Um, and sometimes I feel like we act like it's not. And I feel like right now it has not been fully considered because we're just having the schedule come out now. And there's no real plan about how to mitigate some of the, uh, you know, some of the circumstances that are out there. Once again, you can have COVID-19, not know it, test negative, and, and, you know, you could have a false negative. Next day, test positive, have played a game the night before, have given it to a player. You know, Kansas State player could have given it to a West Virginia player. Both those teams, both those players, rather, back with their teams, could give it, could spread it around, and you could be in a bad situation like that. So uh, the fact that we aren't finding a way to mitigate those circumstances and keep guys away from each other and, you know, uh, or at least keep guys away from other people who are not involved I'm a bit confused how this goes going how this is going to work if these kids are existing as college players. And also too, remember this. This is an important distinction. With college football, the one game a week makes it a little bit easier to schedule around, right? If you have an outbreak, you can just reschedule games and it's only once a week. For basketball, you you do have weeks where teams are traveling all over the place. You know, West Virginia is a great example. They they log the most miles of like any team in the country besides I think Hawaii for traveling around. And for them, going all over the place in this in this time period is going to be difficult. All right, so which games am I most excited for here in the beginning of the Big 12 schedule up until Christmas? We start off with Oklahoma at TCU on September, uh, excuse me, December 6th. That is a Sunday. Then we have Texas Baylor uh, the next Sunday on December 13th. That game is exciting. Tuesday, Kansas State at Iowa State. Meh. Uh, TCU at Oklahoma State, you know, that's it's fine. Thursday, December 17th, the first one that you can circle on your calendar, that is going to be Kansas at Texas Tech. These two teams have emerged as the class of the conference. Uh, Kansas obviously always having been there, but Texas Tech 
is a new team, obviously, with Chris Beard, you know, what he has built the program into. Texas Tech is now officially a basketball school in terms of which which program has had more success. So that game uh, is going to be a circle on your calendar game for sure. Iowa State is at West Virginia the next day, and that one's somewhat interesting. The, the schedule rounds out like this for the rest of the month. Baylor at Kansas State on that Saturday, December, December 20th. On Sunday, it's Oklahoma State at Texas. On Tuesday, December 22nd, it's West Virginia at Kansas, which is interesting. Texas Tech at OU, which is interesting. And that is all we have up until Christmas. And I feel like that's going to be kind of an experiment to see how things go up until that point. So there's the first part of your schedule. I'd say the marquee, obviously, is going to be Texas Tech hosting Kansas on Thursday, December uh, Thursday, December 17th. That's really the marquee game of the first two weeks. And then I think the big question, right, is to see how see how everything goes uh, in terms of players staying healthy and flow and travel and whatnot. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, our first edition of our Tuesday Big 12 Power Rankings. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Big 12 podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for pro mechanics, and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest possible price rather than charging prices based off what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. Best of all, once again, the prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low for the same professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know what we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, it is time for our first Tuesday Power Rankings following what was technically week eight in this college football season. We will rank them 10 to 1. We'll do 10 through 6 in the first part, the first segment, and then the final segment, we will go 5 to 1, counting down the best teams in the conference. All right, number 10 is going to be Kansas. You guys already know Kansas is 0 and 4 in the conference. They're 0 and 5 overall. Their last game, they just dropped to Kansas State in the Sunflowers Showdown. That makes it 12 straight victories for the Wildcats in this rivalry, Kansas Cannot seem to find the bottom this year. Uh, things just keep kind of spiraling out of the control. Now, I will say this. They have lost to uh, three teams who are ranked. Coastal Carolina is now ranked. Uh, they lost to them 38-23. They did lose to Oklahoma State 47-7. Oklahoma State is obviously a very good team. They lost to Kansas State 55-14. to The issue is they really have not been competitive in any of these games. That Coastal game was a 15-point game, but it was never close. Kansas has been outscored 225 to 75 this year by their opponents. They've not been competitive in any of their games. Their offense, this is the most staggering stat. Their 20.83% conversion rate on third down is abysmal. This is not, this this football team is, they're dreadful to watch too. I think it's one thing awful. Like I feel really horrible for the Kansas fans. They actually have to watch this team and things are not going to get any better for them. They play Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, and then Texas Tech. So, I mean, your stretch of Kansas State last week, Iowa State at Oklahoma, and then Texas is a brutal stretch. I feel horrible for the Kansas Jayhawk fans. And I, once again, 
I guess football season or basketball season can't come soon enough because that means the end of football season and the beginning of something uh, a bit more positive for you all there in Lawrence. Number nine on my list is Baylor. I do feel bad about putting Baylor here. I have mentioned this before that I don't totally think um, you know the lack of success this season falls solely on the shoulders of Dave of Dave Aranda. I, I think a lot of it obviously is because the three canceled games with COVID. And they do have a win at one and two and one and two in the conference as well. Uh, they have lost to West Virginia, 27, 21, and then Texas, 27 to 16. So the encouraging signs here for Baylor is that the defense actually is somewhat, you know, around the level of Baylor defense that we expect. And you also kind of think, you know, with Dave Aranda coming in, the defensive guys are going to buy in. The offense is where things have gotten dicey. And so, the offensive line has not protected Charlie Brewer necessarily well. He's Charlie Brewer at this point in time is what he is. He, he reminds me a lot of his brother Michael Brewer, um, just kind of a tough, gritty quarterback who who can hang back there, is willing to take hits. Um, he's taken far too many hits, in my opinion. You know, can sling the ball around, will take some risks, will throw some picks, is a pretty decent runner as well. But this year... Um, you know, you kind of look at what they've lost on offense, right? You lose Jamichael Hasty and Denzel Mims, two of really your statistical leaders. Uh, the second leading rusher Hasty was leader in carries, a guy who gave you, you know, over 600 yards and gave you seven touchdowns. And then obviously Denzel Mims, who is, you know, one of my favorite receivers in the draft, um, one of the best wide receiving talents that Baylor has had in a long time. And you start to wonder, you know, what the effect is going to be. And it's pretty obvious that this was kind of an outcome, right? This this was a very possible outcome, uh, the results that we're getting this season. So for Baylor, you know, I, I think they'll just keep riding with Charlie Brewer. I think they're going to try to stick it out as best as possible. For, the, for them, they played TCU this week, and I think it's an important game because – you know, at, for Baylor, they could go to one and three. They could get to, you know, two and two, which would be a gigantic step forward for them. Being 500 with the way they've played so far this season, they would definitely take that. And for TCU, a team that we're about to mention, uh, a very important game coming up as well. So for Baylor, they're in that nine spot, but definitely the chance to move forward uh, this week if they get a victory. I don't think everything is, is lost, but they weren't too competitive in that Texas game. And they were against West Virginia, who I don't fancy is too good of a team, but I can't put them ahead of WVU. So uh, I will just roll right now with Baylor at number nine. My number eight, I struggle with some here. So I'm going to put TCU in this eight spot. And I don't, I don't feel great about it because the level of competition they've played has been extremely high. I mean, luckily for them, they didn't have to open up the season with SMU or else it would have been SMU, Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. And for them... Having that opening, that stretch of, you know, Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma, I mean, those those are four teams that are all going to end up being in my top five of the conference. And so I, I right now, you know, it, it's been difficult, but their, their schedule does open up. They do get a stretch here of Baylor, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas. And so this is where, this is where you know, where we will see if they fit into the middle class or if they're one of these later teams. And this is something, once again, we're going to talk about tomorrow at length on this program is my conversation with Steven Simcox about what is a good TCU game in 2020? What does TCU need to do as a program to recover? But right now for me, the problem is the offense is not consistent enough. And Max Duggan is somebody that is a fine college quarterback, but the passing game does not feel robust. The rushing attack 
does not feel like it is one that really has a lot of teeth. And it's one of those teams where if you get up on TCU, you pretty much, you kind of like your chances to get the job done against them. This is not a team that I think is built to come from behind. They do have the win against Texas, which I think that they should be uh, they should be lauded for. But I mean, this is not a team that is used to have you know having to come from behind, fight their way out of a deficit. I mean, this week against Oklahoma, once they got down, did anybody really think this Gary Patterson group was going to be able to come back and win that game? No, I don't think so. Um, and I'll be kind of short on this because we're going to have a lot more on TCU tomorrow. But I just wanted to say, uh, you know, at this point in time, I don't think you can put TCU any higher than this eighth spot. Number seven, I have West Virginia. And West Virginia football is looking like West Virginia basketball here in 2020. 3-0 at home, 0-2 on the road. Uh, this year, they've got wins over Eastern Kentucky, Baylor in two overtimes, and Kansas. Their losses, 14-point loss at Oklahoma State, so not bad, and a seven-point loss at Texas Tech. This team is much better at home than they are on the road, like I said. My question is, this week when they play Kansas State, I'm pretty interested in that game to see because it is at home. Is this a team that's going to play elite competition pretty close at home, and a team like Kansas State presents a team that you know they could play very close at home? They are 3-2 and two overall. They are 2-2 two and two in the conference. So that is 2-2 two and two is good enough for a tie at fourth, a chance this week to definitely jump in the power rankings that they could get a win against Kansas State. But if you're losing to competition like Texas Tech, who we don't think is a top-level uh, team in this league, you're beating teams like Baylor in two overtimes, and they've got the win against Kansas, I'm not really sure how there's a case to rank you in the top half of the conference. And you just lost Texas Tech, so I cannot put you ahead of the Red Raiders. And so right now, Texas Tech is going to get that nod to go ahead of them. So I'm going to keep West Virginia at seventh for right now. All right, in at number six, we have Texas Tech Red Raiders. The speech here is, to the winner, go the spoils. They're two and three overall, one and three in the conference. They have that close loss to Texas in a game that they, I mean, they had them dead to rights. They should have won that game. A 10-point loss at Kansas State, 16-point loss at Iowa State, and they had the win this week at home against West Virginia. That is why they are up in this spot. Uh, they have the most downside, I think you could say downside potential is the best way to put it. They have Oklahoma this week, but they did get a good win against West Virginia. They proved that they can beat teams that are, you know, kind of in this area of the conference. They're not just beating uh, Kansas. Uh, they have not played the Jayhawks yet. It's the last game of the season, but yeah, Texas Tech has shown uh, just enough. I was not thrilled once again with their performance. Uh, Henry Columbia was fine against West Virginia. They were able to get the job done in that game. And I think that's why you have to put them sixth, right? I mean, you can't in good faith. I think West Virginia on a neutral field is a better team. But, you know, Texas Tech got the job done. So, they therefore, they have to go ahead of West Virginia here in the power rankings. All right, my top five is coming up next. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Big 12 podcast is brought to you by Built Bar and BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They've got six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar chia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Those go along with the 12 original flavors, coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange, toffee almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. Those are all chocolate. They've got those six flavors with nut, six flavors without nut. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 20% off on your next order. You also have a chance to win a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. One more time, that's BuiltBar.com. 
promo code locked on L O C K E D O N for 20% off on your next order. All right, let's go to number five in the power rankings. It is the Texas Longhorns at three and two. They get this distinction coming off the win over Baylor, uh, but that does not move them any closer in the top five of the conference. They've got the loss to Oklahoma. That loss at TCU drags them back. They've got the win against Texas Tech, and obviously they blew out UTEP to begin the season. So three and two is a good win, not an impressive win like we mentioned this weekend. I'm curious to see this weekend is a big weekend for them against Oklahoma State. If they can get this win on the road, that would catapult them and also to get them back on track. Um, once again, you know the whole Texas is back thing. We're not going to do that here on this podcast. Um, it's not going to be part of the of the joke. It's it's just so played out. It's just so annoying to keep doing it over and over again. I mean, yeah, I'm not favoring them this weekend, um, but for them, they've proven that they do have some quality. They can they can score some points. My question is, what Texas defense are we going to see show up this week? Are we going to see the one that put some pressure on Baylor and that was able to actually have a pretty decent outing? Or are we going to see the one that showed up against Texas Tech and the one that showed up against Oklahoma and the one that showed up against TCU? Are we going to see that Texas defense? That's my question. But right now, they sit at number five. Number four, their counterparts in Red River. It is Oklahoma, who this week got another win against TCU. They're 3-2 and two overall. They are 2-2 two and two in the conference. And so for Oklahoma, the question is, uh, how good are they? Are they are they starting to round into form, into a form where we say, yeah, this is what we thought Oklahoma could be, or this is this is what we thought the track they should be on in terms of becoming a good team. Once again, I think this is a young football team, and they showed that in their losses against Kansas State and Iowa State. But they have proven that they do have um, they do have it in them to win big football games. I think the Texas game proved that. Also, I like the TCU game because it showed their ability to put away worse opponents early and keep them behind them. That was the key in that game for me. They put Oklahoma, they put TCU in the rearview mirror and they left them there. This week at Texas Tech, they need to do the same. Uh, and I think that is another key building block for them. They've got Texas Tech and Kansas, a chance to build a four-game winning streak before they play Oklahoma State in Bedlam. So I think it's imperative for them to come out with a good defensive performance this week, see if they can slow down that Texas Tech offense and keep that offense on the same track that it was on last week against TCU. Iowa State comes in at number three for me. They've got the three straight wins bookended by that loss at the beginning of the season against ULL and then uh, last week against Oklahoma State. A close game that was... Uh, you know, the close the score was closer than the actual game was. It, it was not a three-point game. Their offense stalled. But I think three is squarely where they fit in the conference. I think this is one of the teams that, you know, teams might jump back and forth over them. But Iowa State feels pretty squarely like the third best team in the conference. They didn't take the step that we thought they were. I think it's pretty clear. But part of that could because... Uh, could be because of COVID, could be because of the odd season, but a chance for them to rack up two wins against Kansas and Baylor coming up before they play Kansas State at Texas and West Virginia. So this team, I think Iowa State is pretty firmly the third best team in the conference, but they are not better than that, right? They, they would have to seriously show me something here, rip off some good wins. But I mean, at TCU, Oklahoma and Texas Tech, those are three good wins. The loss this week sets them back because I really do think the two teams that are ahead of them have proved that they are the two best teams in the conference at this moment. 
Number two, we've got the Kansas State Wildcats. Chris Kleiman's group is 4-1. They are 4-0 in the conference. They have seemed to have put that Arkansas State Week 1 loss behind them, but it's funny because they've played similar games. That was a 35-31 loss. 38-35 over Oklahoma after that. 31-21 over Texas Tech. 21-14 at TCU, and then a 55-14 beating uh, of Kansas. So... The, the key for them is to keep this momentum moving. A game like this week against West Virginia, they've got to keep the game on schedule like they're so good at doing. And Kansas State, for me, at 4-0, you can't argue with them being number two, being undefeated in the conference. They have proven that they are the second-best team, I think, in my opinion, uh, with that unblemished record, the, the beating of Oklahoma on the road. West Virginia game is a great test of them this week. Uh, so, you know, I'm wondering if they're looking ahead because they've got Oklahoma State the next week. But for right now, they've got to be number two. Uh, I think the way Will Howard has come in in place of Skylar Thompson has been impressive. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn is one of the most dynamic players in the conference. And the defense, too, kind of, it's starting to come around. After giving up 35 in the first two games to their opponents to Arkansas State in Oklahoma, 21, 14, and 14. So the defense is starting to settle down a bit. I'm curious to see how it performs this week against West Virginia, and I'm wondering if they're looking ahead but because um, I don't think they are, but with Oklahoma State on the horizon, they're setting up a battle between the top two teams in the conference for that conference lead uh, if they can win this game this week. So that's kind of a look-ahead weird one, but from what we've seen from Kansas State, squarely in my opinion, I'm not sure you can argue that they're the second-best team in the conference based off their performance right now. And number one in the power rankings this week, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who are 4-0, 3-0 in the conference. Their win against Iowa State was so important for them because it established everything that they wanted to be coming into this season. The defense was good. The offense was diversified against a very good Iowa State defense. And they showed a lot of looks that we wanted to see from this team. So much hype in the offseason around Oklahoma State. And this week was the, I mean, it came to fruition. Everything that Oklahoma State fans and that the program had wanted to build. Having Wallace and Hubbard so involved in the game. Sanders comes back and plays a decent football game in that first game. I mean, once again, playing Iowa State's defense in your first game back from injury is difficult. But they did not have to bring the backup in. They didn't have to bring Ellingworth in. And so the effort this week put them squarely in the driver's seat in this conference. Texas this week, though, at Kansas State next week, the following week at Oklahoma. Let's see what Oklahoma State has. But so far, so good. They've proved and earned that they uh, earned this number one spot, and they've proved that they are currently the best team in the conference. That is why they are number one in my power rankings. All right, guys, if you guys want the full recap from the last weekend in the Big 12, I've got it up in the podcast feed. It is from yesterday. Coming up tomorrow, we have a conversation with TCU. That is going to be with Stephen Simcox of the Locked On Horn Frogs podcast. Excited about that. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LOBig12. Follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. And also check out all the other Locked On podcasts from the team specific teams across our college football network here at Locked On. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. 
Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.